Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. A recently discovered cache of hundreds of personal Letters, diaries, and photos belonging to Nazi Gestapo chief seem to reveal a thoughtful, loving husband and a devoted father to his daughter. The documents first found in Himmler's house in 1945 were hidden in, a tel- in Tel Aviv, Israel, for decades and sold to the father of, a, of an Israeli documentary filmmaker, Vanessa Lapa. Through readings of Himmler and his family's most personal writings and rarely, rarely seen uh, restored film footage from key German archives, Lapa fashioned a fascinating case study, a portrait of a man responsible for some of the worst atrocities of the Second World War. We are joined today by the director of this wonderful documentary um, on Heinrich Himmler, the, the, the decent one, and that would be Vanessa Lapa. Vanessa, welcome to film school. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to you. This is, um, for those who um, care about some of the uh, the seminal events of the last hundred years, this is certainly ranks right up there in terms of shining a light on, on, on this almost unexplainable um, tyranny and terrorism and the rest of it that w- that occurred uh, in ways that I wouldn't I would not have imagined but very very enlightening to watch your film the decent one um, tell me a little bit about how you came to this project yeah. tell me thank you and I, I just wish to emphasize what you just said according to to the historians it is indeed very important for history because we didn't have access to any private writings of high-ranking Nazis before that. Unlike the Goebbels diaries, those diaries were never written with the aim to be published. Mm. Okay. So the, the, the sometimes boring, but the amount of information for history is very, very important. Yeah. Um, back to your question. I came across the diaries in 2006. They were kept by a man named Chaim Rosenthal in Tel Aviv. He kept it for 40 years under his bed. And in 2006, his son convinced him to get rid of them. His son spoke with a professor at the Tel Aviv University who knew me, and he gave me a call. I went to see the documents. And after a month, a month and a half, I decided to pick up the challenge. There is a gap between 94 1945, when the American soldiers took them from Himmler's house, and 1960. We will never know exactly, because Rosenthal never told how he got the collection, either on a flea market in Europe or a flea market in Los Angeles, or through a couple that was um, going their way from the on the American Mexican border. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't it it's, it's accepted that the the uh, US GIs who had taken control of Himmler's home for probably the ones who got the, the originally they're the ones who took took this material. Is that an accepted theory, so to say? 
Yeah, this is for sure. You know, uh, it happens a lot in post-war areas and post-war zones. The, the soldiers, uh, certain divisions are entering uh, places that the army tells them to enter. They need to empty the place. And here and there, you know, there is a vase, there is a, a bowl, there is a, a carpet. There is something that they are taking in and not handing over. Yeah. It's young soldiers, and they exchange it, you know, for... for for some money, for, for some alcohol, for something, because yeah. the first part of the collection, this we know for sure, was exchanged in a bar in Chicago um, for two bottles of whiskey in the 60s. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Isn't that some of these things just, it feels like this material, when you hear those stories, was meant to be eventually, dis- I mean, it was meant to be. That we would find it and get you know get our get our collective hands on it when you hear yeah, stories. Yeah, I of agree it. with you. This is how <laughs> it seems like this. Yes. Now, now let's back up because I think we need to frame for a lot of our listeners. Uh, they know nothing about World War II uh, except maybe some newsreel footage that they saw on the History Channel that they were watched sure. for about you know two minutes because it was flamethrowers and people throwing grenades at one another. They don't understand. Let's put. Let's put World War II in somewhat of a perspective and where uh, Heinrich Himmler comes into all of that, the rise of fascism in, in Germany and, and such. He was very present. Himmler was very, very present um, since the beginning. He was one of the first followers of Adolf Hitler. Immediately when Hitler came out of prison in 25, um, he, Himmler joined Hitler. And he was a very um, structured and um, disciplined bureaucrat. So he did everything he could in order to be as close and to stay as close as possible to Adolf Hitler. And very fast, Hitler started to give him more and more responsibility. Okay. So his rise to power was very fast. So he, he's one of the very first uh, of the... Uh of, of the followers, yes. the true believers in fascism. Yes. And and yes. all the while that we're seeing this footage, and I want to, so we'll continue his sort of trajectory here, but all the while that we're, we're sort of seeing the very early days of the brown shirts and the fascists and all of that and, and some amazing footage of Adolf Hitler in those early days that I'd never seen before, you're juxtaposing a lot of this with uh, his very first writings as a young boy all the way up to when he meets his wife and and he, and, and subsequently. So while we're seeing this footage, and we're, we, we're, we're seeing in kind of, I would say, real time, but we're seeing contemporaneous footage of what was going on. So... Okay, so continue the narrative. Yeah, what so- we see, what we, it was very important for us not to use uh, the newsreels, right. not to use the, the well-known footage, but not, um, the, the first reason, the main reason was not, you know, to be original and to use something that no one used. It was, the idea was to make a very extensive research and to get to private home videos in order to reflect as accurate as possible what the reality of Germany in general and of the Himmler family in particular was in the beginning of the century, to try to understand the roots of what later became uh, Nazism. So this, is, this was the trigger to, to research home videos within families and places where Himmler grew up, spent time, traveled, families from the same socioeconomic level of the Himmler family. 
even including some of his his fraternity from college, some footage of his. Uh, I've forgotten what they were called. The, his father, Apollo, yeah, the Apollo fraternity. The, yeah, all of it. It it really is a it amazing. It 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 looks like home footage, home movie footage. So much of it we, is. Well, is some of it is, or are you saying it was is as close as we're going to ever get? I'm not quite. Is some it of is home. Uh, it's all of them. Everything is uh, authentic. There are no reenactments. Listen, from my research, I can tell you for sure that there is more. It can take, you know, a decade to to get to it, but yeah. there is more home. There are more very good home videos out there. Oh, but but they're not of particularly the Himmler family. They're just of this contemporaneous kind of the culture that he grew up in. Is that what? Am I understanding that correctly? It's, yes. Okay. That that's what I and it is. It's just it it really puts you in that place from 1900 to about 19. I think 26 is where sort of the first break. Uh, first sort of section of his life, and then and then everything after that is his involvement with the with the Nazis. His wife, yeah, and and his wife as well, right? Yes, Which exactly. Is, his wife and Hitler, exactly. This is exactly the the two people he kind of meet at the same time. Yeah, it is. And then he, of course, is he's in love with his wife as he writes, and he loves her more than everything, but. There is something that he may love more than her, which is his nation. Yes, and and he alludes to it in his early writings in the film, um, in in his diaries. You 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 hear his talk of the greater Germany and the the superiority and all that kind of insanity that that he seemed to be very much locked into very early in his life. He also seems, and I don't want to read too much into it, Vanessa, but he also seems to be. As a young boy, a young man, uh, very much uh, questioning himself in terms of his abilities, he seems to be, which it's not that unusual that somebody would sort of have elements of self-doubt in, in the way that they perceive themselves in the world. But um, it, it, in light of, well, go ahead. I, I, I don't want to get off on a tangent here. So we now know that from 1920... No, you're totally right. Yeah. He's, um, He's, this is what makes the film... Um, at least the beginning of it, in a way, very uncomfortable because we know who he is, and nevertheless, they are the first third of the film. His 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 behavior and what he's saying makes all of us feel familiar because he's yeah. like, like you just said, like all of us with some moments of. Uh, questioning himself and he's not confident and he wants to be accepted and then he's not so he's growing up in a in a normal way like most of us did a bad day at school um those kind of things yeah and and, and i love the way that you title the, the sort of the i'll call them the chapters in the film and there's one called mm -hmm. no one likes have i got this right no one likes me that yeah, nobody them. likes me. Nobody, people don't like me. People don't like me. I thought that was great. And the, the chapters, I, I love the kind of the setting up of what, what we're going to see uh, in that section of the film. Um, so Himmler is now, yeah, Himmler is setting himself up to really be integral to the to the career and to the plans of Adolf Hitler by 1927-28. Is that Yes. Okay. Yes, correct. And, and in the meantime, he's now met his wife. And again, this correspondence with his wife increasingly becomes more and, about, uh, more, and more about how much he loves her and their family. And their, I, I don't remember when their daughter was born. These are... 29. 20, so these are letters you would expect to read 
from anyone. But yes. increasingly, it feels like the letters become laced with more and more this sort of Nazi master race. It sort of begins to not, not creep in. It really becomes a predominant theme. And they share this. His wife, Marguerite? Margarita, yes. Margarita. And him seemed to share that's a, sort of this immediate attraction to her is is largely based on this worldview that they seem to share that yes you you you're totally right this is exactly what it is and increasingly you see how the the ideology and the outside and his um, political views start to to taint everything inside the whole family life the whole romantic correspondence I mean, it's it's everywhere. It's interlacing all the time. With there is no, according to me, we don't have a Doctor Drackle and Mister Hyde character. No, there is one man without a, a split personality. He's not on the one hand a loving husband and on the other hand a murderer. He is uh, perverted to become murderer since the beginning. Yeah. I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with the director of the documentary, The Decent One. That would be Vanessa Lapa. She will be, uh, she's in town uh, as we speak on uh, October 10th. Uh, she'll be at the uh, Lemley Theater Music Hall. That's in Beverly Hills. I call it Beverly Hills. It's L.A., Beverly Hills. It's on Wilshire. Terrific, terrific place to go see a film. Um, and uh, it, you'll be there for a lot of the screenings from uh, today through through Sunday. From um, Monday. Through Monday, yes, my bad. Through Monday, so you are there. Uh, are you at all these screenings? The twelve o'clock, twelve twenty-five, four fifty, and seven twenty, or are you just at? No, at the seven twenty. The main screening at the seven twenty. And I really, uh, I mean, I, you know, a lot of filmmakers are in town to promote their films, and it's great, and it's a wonderful opportunity to go down and talk to them about their films. But I would really underscore the importance of going down to talk to Vanessa Lapa regarding this film because. I think you just alluded to it. There is so much that that you could talk about in terms of what your research has revealed to you and about the context of his life in relation to, uh, the, you know, the, what, the impact it had on the world. You know, oftentimes we forget that, you know, we think that one or two people can have, cannot possibly have the kind of impact on, on the world. Uh, these, these, these characters, these lunatics... Hitler, Himmler, Goebbels, and the rest of them, Goering, they did. And I think any time we can gain insight into the kind of people they were and why this happened, we need to know. We need to find out, and we need to be aware of it. That's why I'm urging you to go down to the uh, music hall in addition to being a great film. Check that out. I know that Vanessa will have a lot of information for you to uh, to be able to uh, digest in all of this. Um, Thank you so much. Yes. Well, I, I, I just... Again, I mean, this is so. Okay, let's move on because I want to understand people that need to understand. So Himmler has ingratiated his way into Hitler's life, and now he's been appointed to the police uh, chief of Bavaria, and he's on his way to becoming the chief of the SS, the the most the feared, the the, the elite guard, if you will, among the the, the fascist uh, 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 empire if, if, of sorts. Um, yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that rise and this kind of increasing militancy in the way that he spoke about uh, the non-Aryans. Well, you know, this is this is the big problem with with uh, with someone like like Himmler because 
in appearance, he's not especially charismatic, he's not especially creative, and he managed in the system to rise very fast and to educate a whole, uh, to educate a very small group of bodyguards of the Führer and take them within five years to, to almost half a million people who became paramilitary elite killers. That's right. What is, what is absurd is not the word even, is that um, his education was based on explaining to them to, to remain decent, to eat decent, to talk decent, to be decent with the others, for them to educate further in a decent way. So this is the, the, the frightening part, and of course, after about six, seven years, then you go to the next step, and the next step is the actual killing. And then you have a problem because the soldiers at the front are complaining because they cannot mentally and psychologically hold up to their assignment because it's difficult to see women and children killed and, and you know it's it's a difficult assignment. So Himmler this is this was the first reason why or how Himmler came to the idea of the final solution. Yeah. Because he needed to find a decent way to allow his soldiers to continue to do the job because they couldn't bear the the image of what they were doing. They couldn't bear seeing people dying and falling in slaughter pits. Yeah. The, the so when you put this together with um, the war that was going on and the economical situation of the war and what started to happen in Russia, it was the perfect, in between brackets, solution to put, to have uh, gas chambers, to have a final solution. Yeah, and and Himmler's role in is described as the architect of the final solution. Himmler was very hands-on in in sort of developing the ways in which this would happen. Is is that yes, hundred percent correct? It's it just it it's it is you know it is so it's un unnerving in a very profound way to to see. First of all, it's, it's unnerving in a in an important way to see Himmler as just a guy. With a family, and I and I don't mean and when I say it, it, it's humanizing. I only mean that because it is by the fact of your reading, your hearing uh, these letters he wrote home. It that does humanize him, but it also makes it it makes my level of of disgust and contempt for him more. I, I, and, yes. and that's that that's the that's what I find the value in in uh, among many reasons to to uh, to talk about your film is that 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 by making him a little more human and uh, and understandable it makes the the crimes that he was involved with that much more heinous and despicable i i just it really i don't know what to say i i totally agree with you i totally agree with you because it it would have been easier to find out that he's a monster or that he has horns, right. then it's easy because it has nothing, you know, there is nothing we can connect with and not most of the, of the people don't have horns and they are not monsters, so we are fine. But the fact that he's so not 
it makes it's it's frightening to to realize that that he's he's a human yeah. and that he made choices. At the end of the day, he made choices, and his choices were evil. Well, and I know, I know you, some of the footage you got. Again, I, I underscore this. It's just remarkable. I've never seen a lot of it. There's one, there's one uh, clip that you you have in the decent one, where they're on a boat somewhere. This is early on in the film, and Hitler's back is to us until he turns around mm -hmm. uh, and to look at the camera, and uh, it, it there's just. I mean, even in this sort of unguarded moments, you see these people. I, and I know where I'm projecting some some here based on what I know of history, but there's something just really off about seeing these these guys uh, in you know in sort of this these sort of settings that is unnerving. Again, um, I w and watching your film and correct me if you think I'm wrong on this. There was something uh, a bit off about Himmler. In this sort of, um, I, I felt like the relationship, the uh, the dynamic between Hitler and Himmler was very much Hitler having what Himmler wanted, and 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 Hitler manipulating Himmler along the way in order to kind of tease him with this idea that he is in fact sort of the de facto alter uh, Führer. Yes. Am I going yes. too far? No, on this I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And the psychiatrist who. Who, who accompanied us um, all over the, the writing of the script and the filmmaking is, um, is saying exactly what you are saying. Yeah, and that, and that this, and that, so because, and, he, so, and, and there's another thing, and I, this may be too far afield, I, I don't want to read too much into this, but throughout the whole sort of iconography of, of fascists and Nazis and all that stuff, and the, this wor this worship of the physical and all that there's there's a kind of a and I don't want to mm -hmm. this sort of homoerotic feel to this I mean they 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 executed they homosexuals in 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 Germany but there just feels like there's something there's sort of this latent homosexuality that is being you know being pushed down repressed to such a degree that they have to eliminate any sort of temptations or whatever there's always that always seems to me like this undercurrent am i is this is this something that yeah it's it, i have the same thought as you psychological wise you know we 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 spoke about it uh, a lot with the psychiatrist and it's not a a new question that arises yeah. um, of course there there is something in this up to what extent this is what triggered them, I'm not sure up to what extent, but it's certainly the repression and, and the, the yeah. you know, and the hate of the other and the idealization and the myth and uh, all of it together became, yeah. became the ideology and uh, the result of it we all know. So, right. well, and so the, yes, I agree with you. Yeah, and this lethal brew of an of a, of a important European... Uh, country uh, manufacturing base uh, upset over the uh, outcome of World War One. Angry, unemployed, disenfranchised. Angry is the word. And and here along comes a a, a man who could apparently deliver a decent speech, who who told them who the problem was, and and then this and this whole machinery grew up alongside of it. It it is it is such an important thing that we understand. Such an important thing for us to really 
delve into and and understand it because we it cannot ever happen again uh and i i, I just see this film people the decent one uh, this documentary is again it's in theaters it's in los angeles uh starting today October 10th at the Lemley Music Hall um and really understand what what is going on and Himmler is such a wonderful window and your fo- film mm. your film is just terrific Vanessa I just I'm I'm so impressed with it and I um I just you know it's important I, I don't like to use that thank, word thank you so much it, it means a lot to me and and uh, what you just said is really the if there is any importance uh, to the film, you know, after his uh, artistic and theatrical life, is um, the the importance that if this is something that may take us a step forward towards making sure that it will never happen again, then you know we we did something. Yeah, I I want to point out, you know, again, uh, you know, sort of the reviews. You 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 won uh, the film won. Uh, the best documentary at the Jew, uh, 2014 Jewish Film Festival. But I just don't normally do this, but this review by Andrew O'Hare uh, from Salon Magazine, and I, I agree with this. Is his review is... is uh, Thank you. I found this film to be one of the most profoundly disturbing cinematic experiences in a life full of them. This is a man who watches movies all the time, has seen thousands of films, and I, I agree with Andrew O'Hare uh, on this one. It it is truly profoundly disturbing, um, and uh, such an important, you know, window that we need to look. Thank through. you so much. It it really honors me and moves me very much to have people like you guys. You know, seeing the film and and writing this and saying this. It's well, it's very moving. Well, I I uh, all the best, all the best. I know that uh, the film is is here in the in the United States, and I'm sure traveling around the world. Well, I just one last question for you: uh, the, the the reaction the film has gotten, obviously a good reaction from the uh, Jerusalem Film Festival. But what's been the reaction in Israel? And also, uh, I'd be curious about the European reaction if it's already screened. Well, the, yeah, it's we released the. Theatrically in Germany uh, three weeks ago in Israel, the, the, as well in Israel, the reactions were were very good and very possible, which uh, very positive, which was not. Uh, um, we were not sure that this that it will be like this because Israel is is very close to it, and the, to tell the story with the point of view of of the perpetrator is not something that uh, we knew for sure would be well accepted. In Germany, though, it's way more difficult because the audience is getting very emotional because they feel they take it very very personally when i say the audience i mean the third generation they are taking it very personally and they are they are fright it's it's frightened them and they say um but this film doesn't reflect my family my father was I grew up like this, and my father was uh, a soldier, but he was not a monster like Heinrich Himmler. Yeah. So it makes them very, very angry because they recognize themselves not only on a human level with the characteristic that we spoke about in the beginning, but they recognize themselves also with, with the places and the, the language. It's very close to them. So it's very difficult for the German audience to, to grasp. It's very emotional in Germany. Well, thank you so much for being on Film School, Vanessa. I really 
enjoyed our conversation. I'm so glad you were here and able to talk to us about this film, The Decent One. It's me. I thank you. Now, thedecentone.com, is that the, the, the website? Thedecentonefilm.com. Decentonefilm.com. You can go to there. Kino Lorber is the distributor. They're terrific. You're working with a, a, a great uh, dis- distributor for the film. and So see this film. And now, uh, VOD or iTunes, is it going to be available anytime soon? Further on, not soon, further on. Okay. Well, then later, go, go, later in 2015. Well, then go see it at the Music Hall 3. You're there for the 7, let's see, 720 screening, a Q&A after it. Uh, and uh, thank you for being here. I thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.